Welcome to our Sales Boost Podcast, where you will learn how to build your personal brand and your career in business through thought leader insights and experiences. We're so excited to share stories and learning moments from experts in the industry, including our Sales Boost team, to help you both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Andrea Christofferson, Chief Engagement and Innovation Officer with Sales Boost. The focus of this podcast is all about helping others reach their greatest potential and boosting confidence, performance, and most importantly, results. On your mark, get set, go. Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to our Sales Boost podcast. We are so thrilled. This is our first ever Sales Boost podcast, and we're so excited. Yahoo! Yahoo's right. We are all about helping others be their best self and achieve what they want in life, both personally and professionally. So we're excited to embark on this endeavor, and thank you for coming on this journey with us. Today, for our first ever podcast. We are thrilled to have none other than our CEO and founder of Sales Boost, Greta Brooks. Hi, Greta. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Very excited about today. Yes. We have been talking about this for a while and the, the, the fact that it's finally here today happening is such a thrilling feeling. So I think everybody here is so excited for you to share all your stories and everything you have to offer. Um, a little bit about Sales Boost and a little bit about Greta. Greta founded Sales Boost in 2016, and since then, Sales Boost has been helping organizations in hospitality and lodging and restaurants be their best self. In addition to that, Greta has 30 plus years of experience in hospitality, both in operations and in sales. Uh, Greta, you actually led sales organizations uh, such as Wyndham, Hilton, and Omni Hotels and Resorts. Yeah, that's great. Which is fantastic. <laughs> so your wealth of experience uh, transcends so much, and we're so glad that you're here today. So the topic that we're going to ask Greta about today and to speak about is her philosophy on innovation. And Greta has a very unique approach to innovation and actually has the 10 top ways to be innovative. And here at Sales Boost, we have adopted that. It has worked tremendously with how we approach growing the Sales Boost brand. And so, Greta, we wanted to have you sit down and share all of your stories about the top 10 ways to be innovative. I can't wait. Yes. So a couple of interesting stats that we wanted to share, too. Um, Recently, Uh, Actually, the 2020 Workplace Learning Trends Report that was just released uh, has some very interesting statistics. And one is, what are the top soft skill priorities for training at organizations in 2020? And so we looked at, in this report, innovation, change management, communication and storytelling, emotional intelligence, having a growth mindset, and time management. So those six key areas, all L&D leaders had said that innovation was the top priority for their organization in 2020. So of all the top skill priorities for training, innovation 
was the number one skill that organizations today, specifically learning and development leaders, are looking for. Very interesting statistic. Mm -hmm. Very important. In addition, two-thirds of organizations say that innovation is crucial to their survival. However, fewer than a third say that they are innovating successfully to drive growth and increase revenue. Pretty scary. And listen to this. 84% of customers say it's important that the company they buy from is innovative. So this innovative concept is one that we hear a lot about, but what to do about it. So Greta, your top 10 ways to be innovative. Tell us a little bit about how you came to this concept and why. I think to to define leadership and explain how to be successful in leadership, you need to have some some anchors and need to understand what those those pillars are. Um, and so um, we outlined the pillars for some courses we were developing. And when we did that, it was uh, very evident that we had a top 10 list that we could effectively create into a track of courses and speak on and really share with our learners. So, so the top 10 ways to be innovative I know everybody is eager to hear what those are. Would you mind sharing? And let's talk about the top 10 ways, starting with your number one. Number one is to bring your best self. And I've now seen it actually as a theme with different organizations. And it's something we started. It was our number one pillar with Sales Boost. And it was something that I had to reflect on when I started this business and something I had been focused on in the past, but I really had to make sure that I could pinpoint what it was that would make me a more successful leader of a startup, of a new organization, and to build something. So to bring your best self means to really make sure when you walk through the door that you are the best version of yourself and you have all the energy that you need to provide and that you have the brain power and the ability to be innovative. And the only way you can do that is to take care of yourself. You have to sleep. You have to take care of, you know, your brain. And the brain, we always talk about taking care of yourself and we think about the body. But what I learned after having a little bout of a health issue was that the most important aspect is to make sure your brain is healthy. And so sleep and meditation, and making sure that you take breaks, and that you focus on your energy. So we focus a lot on time management, but it's really not time management. It's actually energy management. And I know all those moms out there, and dads, um, who are scurrying around in the morning, or driving to work, know what it feels like when you are zapped with energy, and then you need to perform, you need to be creative, you need to inspire your team, and that's impossible unless you're able to bring your best self. Mm -hmm. So how do you personally bring your best self? Do you have any like tricks or tips that you can uh, let us know so we can follow your ways? (laughs) What works for you? Um, I make sure um, that I get a full eight hours of sleep. So I make sleep a huge priority. And in fact, my whole house makes sleep a priority Mm -hmm. now. And that's different because we take sleep for granted and we think if we stay up late, we're going to get more done. Or if we're up early, we're going to get things done. But if we don't let that brain decompress and we don't let it defrag, 
I'm sorry, using some techie language there, but if you don't <laughs> use, uh, allow your brain to uh, restart and shut down and um, allow your, your hippocampus, which is the part that really allows you to be stronger mentally, have more mental acuity, have the ability to learn more and develop more skills, have less anxiety, and deal with stress more. And so sleep is the number one thing. It's my number one priority. I, that comes first and foremost. So I don't let anything get in my way. Love it. And you mentioned meditation. I want to take a moment and talk about that because there's a lot of buzz out there regarding meditation and wanted to get from your perspective, again, any tips or tricks you use for meditation? How does it work for you? Well, I meditate almost two hours a day. Okay. And that shocks people because they think I would never have that much time to do that. I guarantee if you look at your social media and see how long you're on social media, you probably have some time to carve out. But I'll, I'll just give you some insight as to how I can accomplish at least an hour a day. And in fact, if you can at least do 15 minutes a day, you're actually developing, you're, you're strengthening that hippocampus. So you're doing what you need to do to make sure that you're uh, mentally strong. So 15 minutes is highly recommended consistently every day. If you can do more, an hour or even two hours, um, it's possible. So I'll break that down for you. So first and foremost, I don't like sitting by myself in a room with my eyes closed. And the reason is is because your subconscious just starts chit-chatting with you and your to-do list and all those action items and all the things that are stressing you out just pop in your mind. So I can't really do the meditation that I think I've always thought it was, which is just closing your mind, sitting there in silence and looking at a black void. So it didn't really sound like a whole lot of fun to me. So I started doing guided meditation, and that really helped me a lot. And I use an app called 10% Happier. And the guided meditation was dynamic because they allow you enough space in the guided meditation to actually work on um, moving those clouds out of your mind or creating. So if you imagine your brain is like the sky, so your mind is the sky, and little clouds can become big clouds with anxiety or stress. And if you meditate as often as possible, you can make those clouds become wispy clouds that you just kind of push around and you can move them around and you can control them more. You can tr- control your mood, your emotions, and a lot of different things if you meditate on a regular basis and focus on really controlling those thoughts. So, I do it right before I go to bed, so I'm usually asleep for part of it, I would imagine, so I put on 30 to 45 minutes to go to sleep, so that takes a good chunk, and then when I wake up in the morning before I get out of bed, I do at least 10 minutes, if not 20, sometimes 30, depending on how stressful a day I'm walking into, and I make sure I carve out the time to do that, and then sometimes I'll take a bath and I'll do meditation at the same time, Mm -hmm. so I try not to be too relaxed though. Yeah, just kidding. (laughs) Try to get as relaxed as possible. And then during the day, I'll take little brain breaks and they're delicious little breaks and they're five minutes in my car before I walk into a meeting or 10 minutes here or there. And I'll just have my headphones on and I can just be staring off. And then sometimes it's just walking. You can have a, a walking meditation. If you're intentional about meditation, then you can kind of do it anywhere you like. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. So it's, intentional that bring your best self is number one on your list. It kind of reminds me of 
you know, when you're flying on a plane and you're told in the safety procedures to put the, you know, oxygen mask on yourself first mm-hmm. and then help, you know, the child then you or can the help other others. next, and you can help others. And so oftentimes I would say we all probably have this in common that you tend to put others first before yourself, but you're saying bring your best self and take care of yourself first. So you can give to others. Absolutely. Well, I learned that, um, that tactic actually came from when I was a single mom. So I raised my son on my own and I didn't really have any family around. And so I really had no choice but to find a way to manage (laughs) all those things that come with being uh, a leader in an organization and having a child and a baby. And so I had to really figure out a way to make that happen. So it was really to put my oxygen mask on first, as you say, and then I had more to give my my son. So it was very intentional to make sure that I was the best mom. So bring your best self doesn't actually just correlate to work. I use it at home um, and at work and with my friendships as well. So I'm present and the best version of myself. So I'm, we're always a work in progress. It's never done. That we are. That we are. So a nice segue to number two. Uh, tell us a little bit about what it means to develop a learner's mindset. This is your number two. Mm-hmm. So a learner's mindset is something that I think is really critical for leaders. And there's not a successful leader out there that I know that does not consume massive amounts of information. And they're uh, always learning and always developing themselves and always trying to find things that will improve their mindset, that will improve them, their, their health, their, you know, their well-being, uh, their team. They're looking for any juicy nuggets from others. And so we really do learn from each other. And I love being uh, around other CEOs that really like to develop themselves. I find it, it, it is critical to continue to really develop yourself. And developing yourself is a different component of bring your best self. It's developing yourself is making sure you're always curious mm-hmm. and you're always seeking to find a better way of doing something. And we don't want to add more to our plate, but when you read and you're inspired, then you can bring that inspiration to your team. I've heard you say before, never stop learning. Mm -hmm. And that's resonated with, I know, not only myself, but other members on the team. And I wanted you to talk a little bit more about that and why, why never stop learning. Well, I think if you just become comfortable, you become complacent, and then innovation doesn't happen. So you can't be innovative without really seeking to understand and learning and really pushing the envelope. Mm-hmm. And that's really where innovation comes from, is pushing. Can't we do this better? That's really where Sales Boost came from. How can we do this? How can we do training better so we learn better? And we actually adopt skills. And you just can't do that with current methods. And you have to be honest with yourself and know what is working and what isn't working. And even when things are working, can it be better? Can it be exceptional? Can it be brilliant? So always push for the the stars and the moon. I love get comfortable in the learning zone. So when you take your philosophy of number two and you develop that learner's mindset, you literally put on that cap Mm -hmm. and you have that learner's mindset, always wear it with you. Always. Is I think something that 
has propelled our team in particular forward. So develop a learner's mindset, folks. Put your hat on. (laughs) Now, okay, so your number three is a new concept. In fact, I previously hadn't heard of this. And so really would love for you to tell us a bit about unlearning. So number three is unlearn old ways. Greta, what does this mean and why is this important? Oh gosh, I almost want to make this the number one, <laughs> but you can't get to number three unless you do number one. Anyway, they're kind of in a line, um, but I they're all important. But unlearning, unlearning is actually a really a scientific concept and that is, it's a philosophy as well of making sure that you, again, don't remain complacent. So it's actually a a way of checking yourself. Is this what I, am I making a decision based on what I know from the past, from the history, from my experiences or what other people are doing? And I'm a, am I relying on that or am I pushing myself to truly understand what will make a better, a bigger difference? And so I think when we get very comfortable with what has been successful in the past, such as a lot of leaders will just bring their bag of tricks around with them. And these bag of tricks are things that they will always bring out and wow people at first. And it's things that they've always relied on and the things that they've always done. However, it may not be what an organization actually needs at the time. And what happens is it can be very disruptive and it can change a lot of things with an organization and head them on a path that is not necessary. However, If a leader takes the opportunity to seek to understand and really investigate what needs to be done, then they perhaps may have something in their bag of tricks that may help, but quite honestly, it may be something outside of that. So you want to always add to your bag of tricks, but honestly, you don't want to keep carting that around because eventually you run out of tricks and then you're not really dealing with the real problem that needs to be solved. So it can be, um, if we don't focus on unlearning previous behaviors, things that aren't working for us. It could even be unlearning how to get um, how to get away from a clutch word because a clutch word or words or phrases such as, you know, <laughs> or so, we all have them. And it's really important to unlearn those. And the only way to unlearn them is to actually practice and rehearse not doing it and be very aware and very cognizant. So this is probably one of the things that is um, indicative of of self-awareness with leaders is their ability to unlearn what made them comfortable and to push out of that comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Unlearn is, you know, interesting. The ability to unlearn helps us adapt and be innovative and pushes us forward. So I could see, you know, I, I know you're a fan of Star Wars, There's a quote that I'm thinking of as you're talking. Master Yoda says, you must unlearn what you have learned. Yes. And if you think of of that and put yourself in those shoes, you do need to have that concept to be innovative. Have you seen yourself unlearn something here at Sales Boost to be able to propel yourself forward? Is there an example that you can give? Or it could have been in your past life as well curious as to hear your own story on that. You know, I think I did it at Omni. Um, I was, we, uh, we were chatting about this with uh, Tom Faust, one of my mentors. And, you know, we were talking about the fact that we're looking for quick fixes sometimes to things. And I, in order to move an organization forward, you have to take a step back 
and look at it strategically and really look at it many different ways so you truly understand what needs to be changed. And so it probably took me three to six months before I actually made any change at Omni. And that was because I really need to investigate what was working, what wasn't working, and to do a deep dive. And my team was across the entire U.S. And so that took some time to do that. And then I needed to meet with our clients and understand what was needed and understand what the needs are of the hotels and meet with the hotels. And that time spent was able to create a roadmap of what needed to be done, and then the solutions could then be determined. And so that was the first time that I was given the opportunity to really do that the right way. So I think a lot of leaders and organizations want their leaders to move quickly, and I think more so we need to look at whether or not they're doing things methodically and they're really being curious and they're really seeking to understand and getting to the root of the problem, not just putting Band-Aids on it. Mm -hmm. That's a good story. You know, I want to make a point, too, on unlearning. You know, you must unlearn to really propel yourself forward and be innovative and adapt. So from a from a, a salesperson standpoint, you know, from a seller standpoint, if you're looking at a lens, and let's just say a site inspection, you get real comfortable conducting a site inspection, for example, at your hotel or your venue or your private club in a very specific way. So let's just, it's it's kind of like rinse and repeat. You could do it with your eyes closed. You might tell the same stories, etc. So from a seller's perspective, um, it could be a site inspection, it could be a proposal, unlearning really is another way to differentiate yourself from the competition in a way too. So I think that that is an important you know, message that I've heard you say before mm-hmm. that I think we need to be very aware of about unlearning so that we're not missing something that could be new and different. Well, the biggest thing, if your salespeople and your sellers and your or- sales organization are not finding innovative ways to wow and delight customers and really maximize every opportunity, every account, really truly penetrating them and diving deep to find solutions and asking great questions, then they're not going to be successful. You're not going to see better returns and more revenue. And so you really have to ensure that your team is in a lear- always in a learning mode, but also in an unlearning mode. What habits do they have that they need to unlearn? And so sometimes it can be not qualifying very well. Um, I find that with different industries, but even in the hotel business, we tend to just jump into qualifying on rates, dates, and space. And we need to really qualify to truly understand uh, the purpose of the event and how our properties and our locations can really provide an amazing opportunity to create an experience for events and attendees so that they are much more productive. I like the part that you were talking about unlearning habits. Mm-hmm. You know, Which it was like like qualifying. It's really important to be aware of habits and then unlearn those habits. Yeah, I think when we become very comfortable with something that we think is successful, like when we're qualifying, we tend to hurry the process. So for instance, in qualifying, we ask great states and space, but we should always back all the way up and seek to ask really outstanding, powerful questions. 
to understand the purpose of the event so we can really create a solution that will wow our customers. And so the next, number four, mm-hmm. this one I like a lot. So turning up the pressure. <laughs> Tell us about turning up the pressure. Why? Why turn it up? Well, we want a positive environment, um, although everyone works better. And this is another scientific process in our in our bodies and how it works is we, we run on and we do better when there's a, a certain amount of adrenaline and endorphins. And so we, our brain clicks in and everything works better when we're in true problem solving mode. So you don't want to have too much pressure where it's negative or humiliating. And you don't want to have too little pressure where you just don't react to time and stay on top of things. And then you can get loose and start shopping online or doing silly things because you just have more time. So staying close to deadlines, keeping things tight, and then brainstorming in shorter timing time periods so if you can brainstorm in 20 to 30 minutes on a topic with a group of people that you're inspired by and you can work off of each other and build on top of their ideas you're going to have a much better outcome than if you ask people to brainstorm or something on something and bring their ideas because when you give a specific time period that makes your brain engage at a much higher level. So pressure is important. We know goals and setting expectations and accountability is absolutely critical. I think we all know that. But turning up the pressure, you can do that in meetings. You can do that by how you communicate and ask for people's responses. And so you can get more out of opportunities and experiences by making shorter time frames to complete projects. And I think that's a really important task for a lot of leaders is give yourself 30 minutes to complete something. And it's amazing how you can get things done. So Zig Ziglar taught me this. So I was at a conference and he taught me that, and it's true, your most productive day is the day that you, the day before you go on vacation. So that's because True. you've got the endorphin rush. You've got the adrenaline is up because you have this, sh- this time frame. And when you're in that zone, you, and we can all go back to that moment the day before vacation, your pile of, of paperwork is done. Your inbox is done. You get things checked off your list in rapid order, and it's because you're in the zone. So getting yourself in the zone is by putting pressure in the right ways on yourself and others. Love it. And the right time, too, because putting on the pressure at the end of the month could be a negative impact, whereas as a leader, you've said before, put on the pressure at the beginning of the month, middle of the month, you know, make sure and have fun with it, but don't wait to the last minute to put on the pressure. Well, then it just becomes negative if you wait and your deadline is uh, crunch. And we all know what that feels like, trying to get something printed right before the meeting, five minutes before the meeting, and then the printer doesn't work. I'm guilty of that on a regular basis. (laughs) That never works out well. No. And so a good segue. What do you think leaders need to do more of? I think leaders need to take, which is our number five, which is to take more risks and more calculated risks. And really what I mean by that is we always focus on the ROI of taking a risk. And that can actually impede our ability to even think about taking a risk 
because it's almost impossible to figure out what a true ROI is. I mean, we can conjure something up if you like. But at the end of the day, the biggest risk you take is by not doing something differently, by not taking a risk. So you should ask yourself this. What happens if we don't try something different? What happens if we don't take a risk? And so by taking a calculated risk, it means you're creating an environment for your team to think through the pros and cons, the challenges, the opportunities, the what-ifs, and the process, and then give them an opportunity to try it out and test it, but give it enough time. So make sure that it's an emotional knee-jerk reaction to create a risk to try something new. Make sure that it is something that um, everyone's going to learn from. So risk-taking is something that if you create an environment where people have the ability to take a risk, they're going to bring up more ideas and more innovation and you'll have the opportunity to you know, enjoy whatever they, your team has created. And who on a team doesn't want to be part of that innovation, part of bringing solutions to the table? So uh, Ray Dalio does, says this really well in his book and outlines it, and I highly recommend it. Um, it is how to create a calculated risk. And so it's more of a method and a process. You know, when you say the word risk, it sounds a little scary, you know, for those of, of us out there who like to plan and like, you know, things to go a certain way, risk sometimes means that you don't necessarily know how it's going to go because you're taking that risk. You can have a plan. So one question that I have is, what about those folks that are out there that are weighing on whether or not to do or take a, you know, take the risk or waiting to be told what to do. What do you say to those folks out there, Greta? So uh, my daughter inspired me with this philosophy, actually, because she realizes that she's sometimes risk adverse. And so she switches it around as well. And her favorite saying is, what would you do if you couldn't fail? Interesting. So if you think about the challenge with risk-taking, it's actually the fear of failure and what would happen if we fail. So allow your team to have an environment where they can fail and learn from it, but in a safe place where it's not going to make a major impact on the business. And so, again, you want to make sure that it's a calculated risk, but we want to actually remove the fear of failure. And so that's where risk becomes something that people become a little adverse to or it sounds scary, and it's mainly because of failure. I, I love it. It's, it's, it seems like you're giving us all permission, right, to mm-hmm. say it's okay. Just go and do it. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? That's right. What's the worst thing that's going to happen with anything? If you can actually live with that outcome of the worst thing that can happen, then move on down the highway yeah. and make it happen. You know, I think also, Greta, that what had you done or what would have happened if you didn't take the calculated risk to create Sales Boost? Yeah, I, I think about it all the time. And, you know, we wouldn't have all these organizations seeing such great results. And I have tears in my eyes right now just thinking about it. And learning in a different way. Absolutely. And how exciting and inspiring it is to actually create something that helps people and helps develop people. So, you know, it's just a love affair that we have, I think, with that. It's, you know, it's scary thinking, what would I have done otherwise? But there was something in me that just couldn't move forward and keep doing what I always did without solving this issue. It just had to be solved. So it's kind of a burning, a burning challenge for me. 
to make sure that we found a solution that really helped propel our industry forward. Yes, yeah, so you hear it, folks. Go take more calculated risks. By the way, if you want to receive practical tips about how to maximize your knowledge and expertise, subscribe to our blog at salesboost.com backslash launchpad or contact info at salesboost.com for a live demo today. Love it. Okay. Now, you've alluded to this a little bit, but this is actually standing on its own, and that is ask great questions. So this is a philosophy you talk about a lot. So bring us up to speed and tell Mm -hmm. us about asking great questions. So this is something I'm constantly, these are all things I work on, right? That's why they're my favorites because they're really top of mind for me. But asking great questions is, is paramount in being able to find answers and understanding and clarifying and confirming. And I think asking great questions really can speed up processes. So it can speed up the sales process. Um, it can it really accelerate revenues. It can really help you pinpoint where you and your team are having challenges. Asking powerful questions is something that um, we've always used in sales, but I think leaders don't always think about how to, u- how to ask great questions. And so when I started asking more powerful questions to candidates when I interviewed them or to team members, to you, I I love asking great questions because it's so amazing what people will actually say. So I realized that I was relying on a lot of assumptions and I was asking okay questions, but I think powerful questions um, where you're really truly trying to seek to understand is just so helpful to create great relationships and move business forward and really expand your awareness of, of what the needs are of your clients and of your team. You know, I think you embody this truly because when you ask those great questions, they're thought-provoking. And I have seen it in myself. I've seen it in others here, even our customers, that when you are in the mode of asking great questions, taking the time to actually listen, Mm -hmm. you're getting people to make a shift in what they actually really think or feel because they might not have really put it out there. They might not have articulated it to where they even understand. So I've seen it to where when you ask great questions, you're actually helping also the other party or parties really understand what they're trying to accomplish. So I thought that that was an interesting way to look at it because when it's thought-provoking, you're getting people to explain their intention and the why. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another reason for this also is it also allows you to be a more thoughtful leader. So if you really put energy into what questions you're going to ask and you just don't have a few that you always rely on and you really put thought into questions for each person in each situation, you're, you're not framing the question so that you get the answer that you want you're really making sure that you're expanding the thought process between the two people or the group or the person that you're speaking with. And so powerful questions are, are so critical because you get to understand the underlying emotions, needs, um, uh, and situation. And you are inspiring others to think about things differently too at the same time. And be humble or transparent. Be transparent is number seven. 
And this is an important one. You've talked about the importance of this. So share that with us, please. So being transparent. So it's kind of a catchword, I guess, right now. But I think transparency is really being self-aware and making sure that you're very honest and forthright and timely. And people do not look at leaders to have all the answers. And what that means is sometimes you won't have the answer, but your job at that time is to help facilitate a solution. And so you become the different roles that the organization needs you to be, and that's really what a leader is. A manager goes through processes, and it's very a process-oriented position. But a leader is really someone who doesn't always sprinkle fairy dust and inspire people. A leader is someone who, no matter what the challenge or situation is, they don't act like they know the answer. They don't act like everything is fine. They really say, wow, that is really important. Let's, let's figure this out. And I think when you can dig down deep with your team, you know, that's really critical to making sure you build that layer of trust. And so it's, that's always a work in progress for me. It's something that I find really important. And I think we're just afraid overall to show that we don't know something and then we just react with a yes or a no and we don't explain ourselves and we don't explain the why. Simon Sinek always says, you know, explain the why. And I think that's part of being transparent too is, is make sure that you're talking about why you're making a decision. Take the time to explain why. And if you teach people how to make better decisions and you explain to them why and how you're making a decision, then they can make the better decisions later and say, okay, how do we make decisions in this situation? So you don't have to always be there. So you don't have to be the only decision maker in the room. There's a little bit of vulnerability there as a leader Mm -hmm. to be able to say, you know, I need help. And I think that that transparency is one that you can get that comfort level Mm -hmm. and show your vulnerability. Mm -hmm. You know, as a leader, being transparent starts becoming easier and easier. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah, I think we're just afraid to be more humble, but I think everyone enjoys being around folks that are not weak. And so it's not being humble and transparent. It's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength that you're able to let down your guard and realize and let people know that you're not an expert in that, but you can be the facilitator to help make sure that you move people forward and find that solution together. And, you know, I think it's, it becomes thrilling and it becomes exciting to be that person that people connect with. All right. And next we have a very popular one here at Sales Boost. This is a philosophy you have regarding meet with purpose. (laughs) (laughs) And we're always fine tuning that, aren't we? We are. So meeting with purpose. So I read a book many years ago called Death by Meetings. So I'm sure many of you have read that as well. And Death by Meetings really helped me understand um, a few components, and that was that sense of urgency, um, setting urgency to meetings. So that was a key component there. It can be, again, used in many different ways. But um, meetings uh, that are purpose-driven versus just a time period for us to get things off our action item list, if you're meeting with purpose, then you're calling meetings for what they need to be. So call it a brainstorming meeting. Make sure people are prepared. Make sure that they have spent the time necessary to come prepared to provide you with information. So challenge them, give them 
pre-work, make sure that they know what the agenda is and make sure that they have something to look at and already have ideas or solutions that were in the process. So asking people in a meeting cold to brainstorm on the fly can work for me and maybe one other person in our department, but it doesn't work very well when you've got people who really work better when they have time to think about things and let it come to them. And so some people need a day or two to actually let that, their subconscious really work on it and for them to put some thought into it and research and be inspired. Um, Maybe they can bring many, many more solutions and ideas to the table if meetings were much more efficient and effective. So we don't want people just showing up to meetings because we have to. We want meetings to have purpose and actually have a real benefit to their outcome. So we work on this every day because we can get really busy with meetings and then we don't have any time to actually handle our tasks. Greta, what do you think is one of the greatest problems leaders have today? Well, if we have meetings without purpose, then we are just getting things that we need done. Um, We're checking things off a list. We're checking things off the box, but we're really not getting any real work or innovation done. And so I think it's absolutely critical um, to make sure that you are giving the right amount of time to a meeting, but creating a sense of urgency within that meeting as well. So for instance, uh, making sure that there's a set time limit. So we're making a lot of our meetings 30 minutes so that they're a more strategic overview and maybe an informational meeting And another meeting that needs to be brainstorming will be maybe 60 minutes. But the shorter the meeting, the more efficient and effective they are. And then it causes you to have to prepare in advance. Because otherwise, you spend too much time in the meeting explaining and debating why you're discussing something. So meetings can become more of a discussion as to what we're even trying to accomplish versus getting to find solutions that will accomplish the problem. So... Do your work in advance and have shorter meetings. Great advice. (laughs) So that's number eight, folks. Meet with purpose. Number nine. This is an important one and also one that is not often talked about, and that is creating a personal development advisory board. Mm. So, um, you know, I wish I would have learned this when I was much younger. Um, It would have helped me greatly. And there was a certain point where I was a leader and I was not doing everything well. And I really wanted to make sure that I was much more effective. So I started collecting mentors. And all organizations have mentorship programs and try to keep them going. But at the end of the day, there's no program to it. What it really needs to be is really we each need to seek to surround ourselves with people that have gifts that we don't have or knowledge that we don't have, or experience that we don't have. So for instance, today, to be more relevant, it would be absolutely critical for leaders who have a, that are Gen X or boomers um, to have a millennial or a Gen Z with them to help them understand how, people, how things are done. So to avoid the frustration as to why the younger generation doesn't get things, Put them on your advisory board. Bring them in. Give them a seat at the table so that you have their input and their feedback. 
I had the benefit of having two kids who are millennials and Gen Zs. And, uh, you know, I ask their feedback and advice all the time. And sometimes it shocks them. They're like, I don't have any experience. I said, yes, but you have, you have your knowledge today. I need your, your thoughts on what, what's happening today. So I think we need to not just add people who have more experience than us, but add uh, people who have different vantage points. So make sure you diversify your advisory board and make sure that you understand your skill set and where you need to fill those gaps. So I have multiple advisory boards and I absolutely enjoy it. So I can phone a friend at any given time to solve an issue and then I can move things forward so I can find solutions a lot easier and move business forward a lot quicker. It's kind of asking yourself, who am I going to bring along with me that's going to give me you know, hopefully, often, advice that might be difficult to hear. Oh, well, you should give yourself the toughest critics. Okay. That's actually, don't don't surround yourself with people that just tell you yes. And I think we can all say we see CEOs and leaders that surround themselves with yes people. And you need to find people who will challenge you and push you and give you criticism and feedback and reality so that you are more self-aware. So it's a way of ensuring that you're really equalized on how you truly are doing versus how you think you're doing. And I think that that, you know, creates all the other um, opportunities, which is that transparency and being humble. But when you seek to understand and you're a learner, that means you're going to make sure that you have people around you that can help guide you, give you input, give you feedback, give you advice when you need it. Mm -hmm. Take off the you know, sunglasses when you need to have the sunglasses taken off. Absolutely. Look at reality. Yeah. All right. So we're at number 10. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'm sure this was intentional as well as they all are. Think differently to find creative solutions. So uh, kind of all the other nine items um, really fall into that. But think differently. I sometimes laugh because back in the day in the 80s and early 90s, it was a really big deal to say work as a team, teamwork. (laughs) the dream work. But we're just telling people to work as a team, but not really give them the process. And and what does that look like? And it's the same thing about thinking differently. So if you embody all these nine other items, and you really focus on learning and unlearning, and you really focus on thinking differently, and you wake up every day intentionally to think about something differently, then you will be more curious, you will be a leader that is inspiring to others, you will help others push themselves. You will find those advisors. You'll find people that want to engage with you and want to help you build your business or um, help you with your sales or um, really become a better leader overall. But if you don't think differently and you don't do things differently, you will not be innovative. So it's a critical component. That's right. A couple of other questions that I know the audience would love to hear from you on, and that is, What do you wish you had known when you started out as a leader? Get out of my own way. (laughs) Okay. I wish I would have gotten out of my own way. So um, I think as leaders, we, when we put on that hat, when we get the title, we assume we have the magic powers that just come with the title. So just like a crown, like, okay, now you're poof, you've got it all in there. Well, no, the journey has just started. 
um, for many people because they think that being a leader is the title. But the leader is actually, it's the process. So you should start becoming a leader at a very young age. And in fact, you don't have to want to be a CEO. You don't need to be at the top. You don't have to seek to be, you know, the most senior person. And leading is actually helping inspire and motivating people and being uh, the best person on the team as well. So I really wish that I would have thought it wasn't about a title and I had had magic superpowers that were somehow bestowed upon me, that it was actually an investment. I had to invest in myself. It was something that I had to really work on. That's really good advice. And I like the fact that you said it's just beginning. You know, this isn't, you're not a leader because of that title. It's a, it's an investment in yourself. It's just beginning. Well, I think a lot of parents can attest to that, okay. that as soon as you have a baby doesn't mean you're a parent. You have a baby and you're a mom or a dad, and then you need to figure out what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. So what's your philosophy? How are you going to raise the child? How are you going to discipline them? How are you going to ensure that they're a successful human being that doesn't rely on you to be successful? And so it's really critical to put the thought into it prior to having the baby. Um, so the same thing as, as being a leader is making sure that you're thoughtful and put some thought into it. Yes, what's the plan when they start talking back? <laughs> Greta, you give advice um, on a lot of different levels. What advice would you give to a new and then also a seasoned leader? So what advice would you give to someone just starting out? And what would you give to someone who may have had 20 years of experience, 30 years of experience as a leader? Well, I think emerging leaders uh, for sure need to focus on all of these tactics because I think that as you become more comfortable with all of these different tactics to become more innovative, um, it comes with the territory. Being more eloquent, being more efficient, being more effective, it's critical in your current role. And then when the position is available and it comes to that, you're able to rise to the occasion. I think the worst thing is where people drive to work hard and they just work hard to get to a position and they want the title and they focus on the title so much. And sometimes you're given a title and the expectation is that you're going to invest in yourself and do a better job. And so I think emerging leaders need to realize that it's, it's a work in progress, but it should start before you become a leader or if you're even thinking about becoming a leader. Start that work now. And what about seasoned leaders? You've got, there's, there's so many wonderful seasoned leaders mm -hmm. that are out there. What advice would you give to those folks? I think review yourself. Put some critics around you that you do trust, but that can actually give you feedback and aren't afraid to. And do an evaluation of yourself. I think a self-evaluation is critical to make sure that you're moving things forward and that you're the most effective that you can be. I think we all have seen leaders um, at a certain level that we wish we could have told them something. And so if you can stop and ask, what can I do better? And you're honest about that, your team will tell you. So I think, I think being, being humble and transparent is absolutely critical to make sure that you are um, your best version of yourself as a leader. Lovely. You always provide opportunity for creative thinking, the kind of brainstorming that allows for really big picture ideas. And so the question is, why do you make this a common practice? So for many reasons. One of them is, of course, so that I get more strategic thought into a, a thought process. <laughs> so it's much more strategic. Um, I've now come to enjoy 
um, having team or group think. And a lot of people don't like that because they actually want things to be a certain way um, and they want people to follow along. But the problem is people will follow along, but they'll have opinions along the way and they'll nitpick it as you go. So it's better to understand what their thoughts are in advance and then agree together, um, join arms, and then move together um, forward. And I think that a lot of um, leaders don't take that time to do that. But I think I do that mainly because I enjoy hearing other people's opinions and thoughts, and it's so interesting. And it can really be a giant stumbling block somewhere down the line if we don't put a thought into something. So being more thoughtful allows you to, to be more successful and make sure that those giant roadblocks are foreseen, the what-ifs, the worst-case scenarios. So thinking about all those things, I think hoteliers, we all naturally think about that with weather and all that type of thing with hotels and events. But when you think about moving uh, organization forward, we need to sometimes move a little slower to go faster, to be more productive. So I think at least once a year, really going in and taking a deep dive as to what are we doing great and what do we need to focus on and what can we do to do things much better and how can we just be better together. And I think getting your team together is, is really critical and making sure they all have a say. So we've gone through the top 10 ways to be innovative. And it has been delightful, inspiring, so informative. And you've given a lot of great advice, tangible advice, uh, for these top 10 ways to be innovative. Your hope in moving forward for those that are listening, what would you like the audience to do with these top 10 ways to be innovative? Well, my desire is for folks to really learn how to be a better leader or help other leaders. Um, so these are sometimes some thoughtful suggestions that you can bring to the table as well as ideas. But I think it can make you a much more extraordinary person and somebody that inspires others. And people, you'll be amazed that people will flock around you and want to be part of your, of your group or <laughs> want to know you. They'll want to learn from you. And so I think... If anyone can be inspired from this or learn from it, uh, that is uh, the greatest gift, I think, when you become a leader that people tell you that um, they've been inspired by you. I think there's no greater gift whatsoever. I, I think that's an amazing compliment. A couple of other quick questions. What does hope is not a plan mean to you? <laughs> well, I think that one came from... Uh, something that we used to say at a different company. <laughs> but, uh, you know, planning and preparing, plan and prepare. And I think as hoteliers, we know that we need to do that, but we move so fast and we have su such limited time that we need to really make sure that we spend more time planning. So what's your saying? <laughs> you like to say um, measure twice. Oh, yeah, measure and twice once. and cut once. That is true. And if you plan and prepare and you have a process – of preparation and you're more methodical you'll do a much better job in execution and hotels really need to be able to do that so you know train your team make sure that they're trained make sure you spend time training them make sure they know the processes make sure they know the protocols make sure they know the why and your team will be able to handle most situations without you and do it in a manner in which you will be proud what does innovation mean to you 
innovation means <laughs> so many things. Um, so innovation used to mean to me just to come up with kooky ideas, and I think that's what a lot of us think about. It's uh, innovation is this idea that just popped into someone's head. But innovation is really when we see a problem or an annoyance, and we either choose to acknowledge it or walk past it. And so any great GM that I've ever known who just is an amazing leader always was someone who said, hey, guys, we have this issue. Let's find a way to, to solve this. And then somehow the team came up with an amazing solution that just knocked the socks off of customers. And I think that taught me what innovation was. Innovation is just finding a better way, a smarter way, a more efficient way of doing something. So it's not about just crazy ideas that you throw out there and, and try and make messes. So it sounds like a scary thing to do, but it's something that's absolutely necessary to keep a, an organization relevant and stay fresh and stay engaging and attract customers. Very good. A couple of fun questions. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Um, well, I'd like to be transported like Star Trek so I don't have to fly. So that would be a great superpower. Love it. <laughs> Okay. What's your favorite word? My favorite word is and. Um, my least favorite word is but. <laughs> How'd you know I was going to ask that next? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Other hobbies and interests, some things that you like to do when you're not at Sales Boost. I watch a lot of documentaries. I read a lot. Um, and I don't read the same thing. I don't read all business books. I read literature and all sorts of things. So I am just trying to learn as much as I can and absorb as much of this life as possible. It's really inspiring um, when you don't do something that's just something you've always done. You are an avid reader. Can you give us a recommendation of a recent book you've read that you believe the audience would enjoy as well? Well, as a learning organization, I think I have. I think we all have found that a lot of uh, organizations and leaders don't really know what it takes to learn. So there's a book. Um, I just had a quick little chat with Ulrich Boser, who is a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, and he wrote a book called Learn Better. And so I've given out hundreds of these books so far, um, but it's really inspiring. And I think that we need to understand what it really means to learn and to develop a skill, because if we don't understand that, we're not going to maximize the human capital of our organizations, and we're going to leave a lot on the table. So that's probably one book that, that really inspired me, and that's the science of learning is really the inspiration to Sales Boost. What's your go-to app? Other than DoorDash? <laughs> <laughs> um, my number one app is uh, my 10% Happier app. My meditation. Meditation. Yep. Thank you for sharing that. And a couple of other fun things. Favorite color? Blue. Favorite place you've traveled? So far, Japan. Where do you want to travel next? Galapagos Islands. Very nice. Yes, there's so much to see there. Oh, we need to talk about your favorite food. Well, I just became plant-based, so I'm finding my favorite foods. Um, my favorite food, it's grits. Grits? I Yeah, I happen to have a nickname because um, I liked grits growing up so much that my nickname is, I have a nickname to my nickname, so my nickname is grits because I like them so much or it so much. Grits. 
that's good information. Greta. <laughs> Thank you. And speaking of Greta, what is your full name? My formal name? Your formal full name. Oh my. Okay. It's a long one. Um, Margaret Leela Brooks or my maiden name was Margaret Leela Thurston. And how did everyone come to know you as Greta? Um, well, Margaret is a, a family name that many people in my family have, so we many of us have nicknames, so not everyone could be called Margaret because that makes family um, events very confusing. So I was given a nickname, Greta, because it's uh, I'm Swiss German, so it's a Swiss German nickname for Margaret. Really interesting heritage. Good. Yeah. Greta, thank you so much for sharing your top 10 ways to be innovative. It's been so enlightening a lot of really great takeaways. So on behalf of all of us, for our very first podcast here at Sales Boost, thank you for sharing your time, talent, and your expertise. Thank you. That was great. And here's to boosting confidence, performance, and results. Thank you for listening to our Sales Boost podcast. We always learn from our guests and find inspiration from their stories. We hope you do too. You can listen to more of our Sales Boost podcasts and subscribe on your favorite podcast app or access directly from salesboost.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Sales Boost, contact us at any time at info at salesboost.com. On behalf of all of us at Sales Boost, thanks for listening.